Welcome to the Outbound Sales Podcast by Uplead. Join us as we share stories, insights, and advice from leading industry professionals to help you succeed in the world of outbound sales. I'm your host, Chris Zuby. Nick, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for joining. I appreciate you doing this for us. This is uh, very cool. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for starters, what led you to sales? How, at the very beginning of everything, like, how'd you get here? Thanks for having me, Chris. So, how I got into sales, I think, really stems from a... Just an internal desire. Like I, even as a little kid, I I always had a um, sort of a sales bone in me where I just loved the idea of you know taking my toys and trading up to something better. So I, I was just <laughs> wheeling and dealing as a kid. Uh, as I got older though, and got to college and everything, I started to see a lot of opportunities uh, in the market space from a sales perspective. And one of my first business ventures actually right out of right in college, I should say, because we were doing it right at the same time was I opened up a auto parts performance shop online. It was one of the first of its kind. And uh, me and my best friend ran it uh, while going to college. And unfortunately, we didn't have the chops to go, let's go full time towards this and don't worry about the degree. <laughs> but it did give me uh, a lot of valuable business experience, I think. And uh, when I got out of college, my first uh, sales role was actually a business-to-business, in-person sales position where you're wearing a suit and tie, carrying a bag, and you're going basically to offices and asking about office supplies and usage and stuff, and then basically selling them some of the well-known brand toners and such. It was 100% commission, taught me more valuable lessons that I could convey here, but... <laughs> I think everybody should do that at least for a little while. Yeah. No, awesome. I um when I was in high school, I would like run around to all my friends and like the new version of the iPod would come out. So I'd go purchase up the last version and sell it on eBay and kind of had a little bit of that same kind of hustle in me. When did you know like that this was going to be the route for you? Was it like college? Like was that kind of the moment you're like, you know what, sales is where I'm at? Well, I think just in general speaking, I, I think back in like the late 90s when I was like, that's when I just got into college. So that dates me a little bit, but I started to see a surgence of students that were leaning towards like becoming programmers, right? So there was like this huge push for engineers. And that really showed me that coming out of college, a lot of people are going to be looking for tech jobs. And most of the tech jobs, of course, meant up and coming companies. I mean, I still remember, and this is a long time ago now, but I still remember when YouTube was seven employees and they literally had a small little shop about a mile from where my apartment was. And I didn't try to get a job there because I was like, what are they selling? <laughs> but I wanted to get into tech sales because I saw that there was huge demand for growing the web, so to speak. And I mean, back then, the internet was just at its infancy. It was like just starting to get understood and how people could really monetize what they were doing. So that's when I knew I would land somewhere. But I also knew that I wasn't going to be an engineer because I just didn't have that in me. Like, I, I couldn't see myself face deep into a computer that. for 12 hours a day coding. But what I did see is... There are things that are going to be coming out in the future that are going to help people's lives. And, and I felt like there's a compelling argument there for you know helping people and doing some great stuff. And uh, I'd love to be at the forefront of selling it. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. And with regards to getting to Rootstock software, like how'd you end up there? So you've been in kind of sales development for a while, but what led you to that, uh, Rootstock making you think that that's the spot to be? When I was at a company called ServiceMax, 
the person I reported to started out as a VP of sales, later became the COO, and then later became the CEO. Uh, and I worked for him for six and a half years. I consider him my mentor. And uh, he's actually a board member here at Rootstock. So following opportunities that he's involved in is attractive to me. But if you look at my background, I, I have a lot of experience in different industries. And I kind of done that on purpose. I really think that diversifying your experience is really just important. Where I think some people get very typecast. They go, you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing human capital management and that's where it's at. And that's what I'm going to do my whole career. And that God bless. But for me, I get a little bit bored after a little while. So I like seeing other things. So I've done human capital management, field service, governance and compliance and file sharing and cybersecurity. And now ERP. It's an old idea, but made fresh by being built on the Salesforce ecosystem, the, the platform itself, and Rootstock is native there. And so that really means that anybody who's invested in Salesforce can really benefit from it. So I saw the opportunity being rather large and they didn't have an SDR team yet. So when I coupled all those factors together, it made sense. Nice. I primarily, I started in logistics, so I've got some background there, but most of my background, and I would imagine probably a lot of our listeners too, background is in software. Anything that stand out is fundamentally different between, or you know, what is the most fundamentally different thing between software sales and maybe any other type of sale that you find yourself interacting with? I mean, yeah, there are definitely differences. I think I see the differences more so the last 14 years or so when I've been managing teams, you know, that also means that you're interviewing a lot. And over the years, I've probably interviewed well over one or 2000 candidates. It just has to be that many because you're as a leader, you're always, even if you got a full team, you're always looking because you never know people are moving up and out. And the reality is I got a lot of candidates that were, I'm a car sales guy and I'm really good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the number one seller and I'd love to apply for a tech job. Or I even had people coming from uh, mortgage industry, furniture sales. I mean, you name it. At that interview stage though, I recognized pretty quickly that there were major differences between the sales methodology that they kind of were taught in those roles versus what we do here in sales uh, for tech, which is, you know, you're not selling, even though we call it a product, right? Typically you're selling a software solution. The reality is the focus is usually more on the challenges we're solving for, where I think if you're coming from any other industry, the natural gravitation is towards look at the product we're selling, look how shiny it is, look how amazing it is. This is going to be amazing for you in all these you know different ways, like whether you're talking about refrigerators, cars, you name it. And I think that sales persona tends to be the thing that non-tech people think you have to be in tech. And the reality is, especially, I mean, we're talking about 2023 now. So like, you know, SDRs have been a thing for a long time now, 20, 30 years, your target persona, you know, your, your prospect, they've heard it all. And <laughs> most of the time, what they hear is people calling them or emailing them nonstop trying to talk about their agenda. Look at their product. Look how great their yeah. company is. Look what makes them special. Look that they're number one at this. And they don't recognize the audience they're talking to has heard that message 50 times that week. Yeah. So they don't differentiate themselves. And unfortunately, they group themselves into the bucket that that prospect uh, doesn't want to talk to and connect with. Yeah, I hear that. This is my first time being ever in like sales leadership, right? Like this is kind of my first swing there. But 
what I've noticed is I get a lot of cold outreach. People are coming out to me constantly trying to pitch their message. They're calling, which I think I get less calls than I probably would have expected based off of the number of emails that I'm getting. But the emails, they're largely all the same, right? Like the same body, the same format. And like, I'm looking at my campaigns and I'm saying to myself, shoot, like I've got a lot of that in my campaigns, you know, like how do I separate myself from the pack there? Right. And I've made a couple of swings at it and it's a real brain buster for sure. What is it that's your core focus in your job right now? Like, what are you trying to teach your team to kind of pick at that idea? Yeah. I mean, there's just a couple of key concepts to take on board. I mean, to your point, when you have a different lens on, right, which is what you have now in a sales leadership position is now you're you're the focus of other people prospecting to you. And, and the longer you are in sales management, you're going to get more of that. So just be prepared. And the reality is those folks are, they're standing at the other side of the table and they're facing you and they're talking at you. So the reality is when you do that, the prospect feels that and they're tired of being the opposition. Well, I tell my team is nestle up next to your prospect, like be consultative, make the focus of the conversation, not us, make it about them. It's not about stuffing our value proposition down their throats because they didn't ask for that. But let's spend some time to get to understand who they are, what their priorities are in their current role. Like if, you, if you're an SDR, BDR, and you're calling and emailing people that have titles that you don't even know what they do within the confines of that business, if you think your prospect isn't going to understand it, of course they will. They're going to know that you haven't done any research. You don't understand them. So how are you expecting them to relate to you and whatever you have to say? You have to become a subject matter expert in their world. You got to know what their business objectives are. You got to know what keeps them up at night. And you got to also help them recognize quickly to build credibility that there are things you can do to make their world better that actually have ROI. And you can't answer those questions unless you question them first. Like get some answers, Yeah. become a detective, become a lawyer, and piece together the business case as to, ah, I see what you're doing. You're dealing with this thing here, which unfortunately you've normalized in your brain because you've dealt with this challenge for so long. It's now the norm. But I recognize it as a problem because I talk to you know operations leaders all day, and that is a bottleneck for them too. If we were to solve that, what would it mean to you and your business? And really changing that perspective, that's what gets people to want to engage because it seems like that's a different conversation than, yeah, this is Nick with Rootstock. We're a cloud-based right. IP. I'd love to get you a demo. Do you have 15 minutes it's, this week? It's right. disarming, right? Like somebody that comes in with some actual value or different perspective than what they're normally seeing. Right. I guess on a, on a similar note, like I feel like I'm constantly battling the idea of like I want to reach out at scale and I want to touch as many people as I possibly can, but I also need to be focused and know who I'm talking to and be valuable with their time, give them something of value. So how do you approach that idea? Is that something that you guys cover much? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's one of the things that SDRs that join a company for the first time are really scared about, you know, and you can kind of tell when people are, are fearful because during the interview process, at some point they'll ask, 
what's the training program like? <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, that that tells you a lot, the fact that they're asking that question. But as here's joined our team, I'm not expecting anybody on my team to be some sort of expert in ERP, right? Like, it doesn't even matter what your business is. You can't hire people and expect them to be from that space because it's just not realistic. I mean, if you find somebody that works great, but it's just not the norm. So you have to think past you know, will the end up and you have to break it down into smaller challenges. And so what I do is I take on a philosophy of consistently teaching my team and developing them out. It's not just coaching here and there. It's really about development over time. And that means that we're all learning. I mean, I don't have all the answers either, but I work really hard to be the smartest person in the room for my team. And even then there's things that they come to me where I'm like, you know, I don't know that, but let me go get the answer and come back to you. And that way we'll all learn together. And as we increase our tribal knowledge, so to speak, then it becomes easier to actually start prospecting out because it's not about knowing everything about everything. Like, and I always tell this to SDRs too, because and it's about month two or three where it starts to carry weight, but usually you'll see SDRs in those first couple of months they'll start out okay. Like they'll actually get some meetings even within their first month. I'm sure you've probably seen that too. Yeah. And then by like month three, they start to struggle and get frustrated a little bit because they're not keeping up or increasing where they were necessarily. That's pretty common. And I always try and say to people, well, in month one, you didn't know anything. You were still able to schedule calls. So what's the difference between then and now? Now you're actually more educated. <laughs> so you know, that's why I try and help people recognize like, it's not only about being a product expert or being a prospecting master. It's really about understanding how you're applying your metrics. And I always tell people like, you got to find a consistent rhythm, have a certain number of calls and emails that you're doing each and every single day, come hell or high water. You're doing those things at the right times. You're not getting distracted by other stuff. Like, Make sure that the activity is yeah. happening in the right ways for you to be able to hit weekly, monthly, quarterly numbers, because that puts you in the ballpark to potentially hit quotas. If you're not doing enough activity, though, you can't expect it to magically happen, even if you're really good. So it's a little bit of a balance. What I tend to do is I do weekly forecast calls with my team where you know it is about you know having everybody on the team report what they forecast will, will become a meeting this week what will potentially convert this month. And then also as a team, we collaborate on the things that they feel are the biggest challenges in that moment. And that meeting really sets the stage for development because as a leader, when you hear half your team talking about objection handling, okay, well, now I heard that loud and clear. I'm going to go mm -hmm. and schedule a workshop maybe it's you know on Friday at the end of the day and we'll spend two hours like doing... Here's some slides talking about how to handle stuff. We're going to talk through it. And then we're going to do some exercises as a team. So you're touching on all the different ways people learn, which is audible, visual, and kinesthetically. And we do that every single week, you know, and then in between, I like to do one-on-ones with people too. So for those moments where SDRs have stuff they want to share, talk about, discuss, improve, but they don't feel comfortable yet in a, in a group setting they still need to be able to do that in an individual one-on-one -on -one basis. So that way we can make sure everybody on the team is rising together. So that's basically how we're handling stuff. And I find it, it's usually right around month six, maybe month eight latest, but that's when it really hits, I think, an impact on the company because 
the way I measure myself is by other managers and other groups in the organization starting to email me or talk to me and go, hey, that kid Mike on your team, I really like him. When is he ready to get promoted? Because I have a spot I'd like to fill him in. Because nice. what happens yeah. is that they see my SDRs being a better hire from the inside or a promotion, if you will, versus hiring from the outside in. I love that. I think that's the biggest compliment a sales leader can get. Yeah, beautiful. Kind of on a separate note, but I think kind of central to, I think a lot of the way that the world thinks right now, like how are you incorporating mathematics and analytics and data into your process or, you know, how your team is doing? Yeah. Well, you know, it's really a statistics game and that's different than dialing for dollars as a lot of, I've heard a lot of leaders say that and it just, I, I cringe, but you know, there's something called the law of average. When I was in college, I did take a lot of math. I was in a place where I was enjoying the math classes I was taking and I decided to do the engineering calculus route. And so I ended up taking all the math courses needed to become a CS major and I just enjoyed it. And because I was enjoying that so much, I also went back and took statistics, which was like the biomedical route. And, um, you know, when I took the combination of all these classes, I started to see some patterns specifically in the world around me. Like why is a door universally that size? Like we, you know, everybody walks through a door every single day. Like who chose that size, that width, that thickness? And it's because the statistics were done. There was actually math applied and somebody said, okay, we're all going to agree on this. And that's how things happen. And I just saw it everywhere. Later on, when I became a leader, I thought, okay, how can I apply some of my learnings to what we're doing here? So as an SDR, I started to track my activity. And back then there was no like, there wasn't a gong or a groove or any, I mean, there was just no sales development tools out there except for like Hoovers or something. So on paper, I would just tally mark my dials, my voicemails, the pickups of people that weren't necessarily the target person I needed. Then also the target person I needed, the stakeholder, the voicemails I left, the emails I sent. I mean, I was just keeping track of all of it. And every time I would get a successful outcome, instead of tally, I would create an X. And then over the course of like a month or two or three, I would start to see little patterns forming. And what started to kind of develop is that when I was more or less for doing a hundred dials, not suggesting that everybody does a hundred dials today, but if you did a hundred dials, you more or less get about 10 stakeholders somewhere in those hundred dials. Those are your at-bats. So those are conversations with stakeholders and I would get an at-bat. And I realized even within those 10, one of them would turn into a meeting almost right away. It would be like a very easy, like, yeah, this is something we're thinking. I'd love to learn more, you know, and then bam. Okay, great. But the other nine were conversations where I learned at least something about their business. And it allowed me to take a different action prospecting to them. It wasn't like, okay, great. Thanks for telling me that you're struggling with that. I'll just send you a regular email and talk yeah. to you another time. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, you just told me that's a challenge for you. And so then what I ended up doing was going and learning more about those challenges, the impact it would have to their business and working with marketing, I would start to craft some emails that were designed to increase interest. Like for example, if their challenge was, you know, they're trying to, you know, really increase profit, lower costs, something right, CapEx, OpEx ratios. Okay, great. I would spend a little time trying to understand 
And that type of business, where does the majority of their operational dollars go? And at the time, it was actually people. Like it was a lot of, you know, people's hiring and everything costs money and people cost the most money. So then I started to recognize, well, our solution actually frees up a lot of labor. It's like three or four people's amount of work can be done in our solution. So I'm like, wait a second, there's an ROI here. So I started to develop out this stuff. And then I worked with marketing. We created some blog posts and, and that became my email content. And so then I would send it to that person and circle back to go, hey, did you see that thing I sent you last week? I would love to just download with you and get your take. Like, what was it that you liked? What was it that didn't hit the nail on the head, so to speak? And let's continue the conversation. And more often than not, what I recognized was people were appreciating the fact that I was, it's almost like if you're in France and you don't speak French, the French will appreciate the fact that you tried. <laughs> that's, you know, they're not expecting you to get yeah. it, but like, you just tried. And I think that's what I started to see with prospects was they recognized that I was investing in them and they were giving me an opportunity to explain how I could benefit their business. And so that worked out really, really well. Awesome. And I guess like to put a bow on it, like if you could package that message and send it to anybody that's listening, like what would you say is uh, the, the word of advice there? Well, so just to land the plane there, because I, I know I just said a lot, but the laws of average state basically for every $100 you make, you'll get 10 people to pick up and you should get one meeting. The nine out of the 10 become your pipeline. The 90, those should be primarily opportunities for creating awareness. And I'm not talking about just company awareness. I'm talking about voicemails, emails, LinkedIn, social touches, whatever. But those are important too, because what it means is as an SDR, BDR is if you're doing the right touches there, you're becoming less and less of a stranger to that prospect. Mm -hmm. So what happens is whether you realize it or not, even if you don't want to talk to somebody about something, if you remember their company name enough because you saw it there, you heard it over yep. here, I, you know, oh, that guy's voice sounds familiar. It makes you familiar to somebody even before you've actually had a conversation, which puts you in a much better place versus uh, somebody who's just dialing for dollars, which is yes, yep. no, got to go. Yes, no, got to go. So that's part of the mathematical equation for the laws of average. I realized that there's also one more element to this mathematical equation, which is attitude. I realized that when I had this, and I call it play to win, when I really was going after it as an SDR, and I'm like, come hell or high water, I need three meetings this week. That's my goal. I'm going to get it done. That mindset, when I reverse engineered it, it, it came out in all my activities. It came out in all the things I was putting in motion from a strategic and a tactical perspective, and it helped me achieve those goals. But I realized it was the attitude component in conjunction with the effort that gave me the opportunity to succeed. And then it made me think, well, wait a second, how come somebody else who might do the exact same amount of activity not get successful? And here's where the learnings came in. I realized that new SDRs, especially when I started training them, on day one, they were very excited. They were like, yeah, let me, I can't wait to get my first meeting. This is going to be fantastic. Like their attitude was super high, excited, new company. You know, this is amazing. I love the energy here. They've got an awesome water machine in the back, coffee machine, whatever, you know. Which which kind of explains like that first month of, I kind of think of it like a glow, like a uh, SDR will have like a little bit of a glow. The energy will just be there naturally when they go into work that first month or whatever. But after that, you know, your job just out. becomes your job or whatever, you know. Well, a hundred percent. So to that point, 
This is why in month one, SDRs are always like, they're very likely to get some meetings on the board, even though they don't know everything. It's just their attitude is so high. So if you multiply their effort times their attitude over time, they're in good shape. They've set that set of laws of average in motion. The problem is as they go through the activities and say like they connect with a stakeholder who rejects them, I mean, just imagine the worst possible one you've ever right. had. That's going to rock their attitude. That's they just are, a human thing, right? Human like you thing. can't avoid that, right? Well, if you don't have thick skin yet, which most don't, and it takes time to understand right, uh, how to get there, but if you don't have the thick skin built yet, which is not what I would expect, well, now your attitude is literally different. And if we're going to scale it, if it was a 10 before that incident, now it's probably a six or seven, right? It's less, it's not more. Yeah. Well, now that multiplier equation has changed and you've stopped the original set of laws of average and you've kickstarted a new one based on the new attitude. So even though you still want to win, you're a little bit more fearful that you're going to get rejection again. You're a little bit yeah. more tame. Yeah, which, which comes across in your tone, right? Like the prospect can hear that. Right. And most of us aren't even thinking that way, but 100% correct. So it's that difference, which means your mind, you're thinking, well, Nick, I did the laws of average thing. I made my 100 dials. I talked to 10 people. I didn't get a meeting. Mm -hmm. Well, you actually didn't complete the first one. You started a second one. They got rejected again. You started a third one and a fourth one. And none of them completed. So that's why you're sitting here going, why do I not have any meetings? And your confidence now is gone. You doubt yourself. And it's so hard to pull yourself out of that dug hole, so to speak. So I think that's what happens. And I like to preempt all this and help my SDRs recognize this is what's going to happen. Here's how you combat it. <laughs> so they're a little bit more prepared going in. Yeah, totally. I mean, when I think of that Kind of an idea, like I'm a big baseball fan. You mentioned at-bats earlier. I'm a big baseball player. And in baseball, famously, you fail seven out of 10 times and you've still got a Hall of Fame career, right? Like I, I try to take that type of a mentality into, I mean, and it, it stretches beyond being just, you know, an SDR with a cold call. Like it stretches into being an AE and, you know, getting denied at the gate on certain deals. Like that stretches the whole gambit. Just kind of having that end goal, that end sight of, positivity. And regardless of how this small thing ends up, like I'm going to maintain my positivity. I'm going to maintain my attitude. That's probably the single most powerful thing that any salesperson can learn is kind of controlling their own fate, in my opinion, from that perspective, just kind of continuing to have that positivity, continuing to drive towards that end goal. Even if it seems like the battle is lost, the war is still going on. Yeah. And, and that's why I define it, right? So for me, like play to win kind of makes the most sense. It's not just being chipper and happy and fun or gimmicky on the phone. Like a lot of people are trying to latch on to gimmicks, but it's about playing to win. In other words, I use this uh, metaphor all the time, which is like SDRs are, it's like they're learning how to play a video game. I mean, if you think about it, the game's already built. So it's really just about understanding, okay, you're the player in the game. What can you do? You can jump, you can strafe, you can shoot, you can whatever. Okay, learn those things. And now it's about perfecting them, getting better at your craft. And once they start to do that, I mean, you're going to die a bunch of times in the game. <laughs> that just comes with it. But yeah. but you you start again and you start again and you keep going and you learn, oh, avoid that weapon. And when you see that, jump over this. And yeah, I mean, that you just get better. But that's why I think a lot of SDRs, BDRs in their first year 
really struggled to get successful and sometimes they just quit and try to figure out something else is because yeah they go i just can't do this game you know like it's just too much and i'm not going to hold anybody back from you know doing this as a career beginning or career start or whatever like sales isn't for everybody right but my thinking is there's challenges in every type of role like every career path <laughs> has problems pick your poison just yeah. stick to it. Like give Some it of them don't time. involve getting cursed out, you know, on your, <laughs> on your Monday morning. Yeah, maybe not, but uh, <laughs> you know, well, everybody's got their thing. Yeah. No. Awesome. That's absolute gold. Like if anybody's listening to this and pick that up, like keep that in your back pocket, because that's, what's going to be uh, the difference between making it a year, making it five years, making it the rest of your life. Like if you can keep that attitude up, there's really nothing that's going to stop you. People are going to listen to you. People are going to hear that, pick that up, and and they're going to want to work with you. So back to, from a, a mathematics and data perspective, like if you've got one piece of advice to deliver to a team that's growing, that's that's trying to get there, like what are you paying attention to and, and where does that kind of fit into the process for you? I typically do pay attention to what I call the connect metric. It really is a cornerstone variable that tells a story. So you'll have SDRs, like there's two kinds of SDRs, right? So here's an example where one is just doing a bunch of activities and he rolled a donut this month. Then you got this other guy who's not doing a lot of activity, but you're seeing the connects, meaning this person made a lot of actual conversations with stakeholders and at least did some qualification with that person and learn some stuff about them and was able to convert those calls into maybe a meeting or maybe a strategy towards a meeting. So even though they got less activity, they're more likely to have a better second month than that first month. And you know, when I look at the first guy who's done all this activity and has got nothing to show for me, that person is typically thinking about being efficient. As a leader, you hear this stuff all the time. It's like, Nick, you know, my sales loft or my, you know, my gong or whatever. It's just like, I can't get the, the integration is messed up. And it's, you know, like threw off my whole day. I had to track down the sales ops person. And, and they're just focused on all these other things that I'm like, they don't matter. And then when they do the bulk of their calls, it took them like three hours in the morning to kind of get ready for call time. They literally go into their calendar and they'll go 1130. I'm going to start calling. Well, 1130 is late. <laughs> like for people who don't know, the best percentage of success for getting somebody to pick up the phone is actually in the morning. Like, I mean, between 7 a.m. and I'd say like 10, 30, 10, 45. Like if you can get the majority of your dials done early, you've got a much better percentage of success to get people live. If you're doing them late in the afternoon, you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're going to basically try to do outreach when people are less likely to answer because they're at lunch and or it's the end of their day, depending on time zone. And so you're leaving a ton of voicemails and then you're upset that nobody's calling you back. Well, newsflash, nobody's gonna call you back regardless of how good your voicemail was. That's really not the point of the voicemail. So I know that's hard for people to digest. I tell my SDRs, a voicemail is a audible billboard. That's it. Your prospect is on the freeway and they just saw it for three seconds and it went mm -hmm. by them. You have to basically use that time very wisely but again, it's about becoming familiar, not being a stranger, because eventually they will pick up the phone and they'll remember you. So your percentages of having a better connect will increase if you're doing those things in the right way. So I looked at that connect metric and I go, the SDRs that have the most connects have two things that other SDRs don't. 
The first one is, well, they've got probably the most scheduled calls right there. And the second thing, they have the most pipeline on the team. Because even if those people are not meetings yet, those people are in a bucket. That means they're being strategically educated, which means every touch is moving that person closer and closer to a yes, where you have everybody outside of that bucket, hasn't been touched yet, doesn't know who you are, doesn't know your company, doesn't care. So, you know, the lower hanging fruit between those two equations is the people that you've got learning from you. So I think that's what I try to see over time. Like, how is the accumulation of connects happening? And I can tell if somebody's putting a ton of activity and has very few connects, that's when I can smell something's wrong. Statistically speaking, mathematically speaking, you should have more connects. And you'll do an investigation, you'll find, okay, the SDR is doing all their calls at the end of the day. Or they're calling company 800 numbers, which you want to get gatekeepers right, all day, right? Like, you know that kind of stuff. So yeah, I kind of think of that in terms of like, there's really no way around just doing things the right way. If you're going to take shortcuts and you're going to try to accumulate statistics because you're just going to you know call a bunch of phone numbers or do what your boss tells you, like there's no substitute for actually doing things the right way and talking to people with education and actually caring. Like I think that was kind of drives at what you were talking about earlier is like there's no substitute for actually caring and people can tell that. So as much as I think many people that might be listening are thinking, how do I find that sweet little tip that's going to get me to that next level? Like, I don't know if you're going to find it. I think your best bet is just genuinely caring and genuinely putting your best foot forward and doing that more often than your colleague, right? Like that's what's really going to drive your career advancement is there's no shortcut. Just keep doing the right thing over and over again. Yeah. And to that point, because Chris, I think you're absolutely on the money on that. It's interesting because as a society, we're just kind of so geared and taught these days to like find the shortest distance between two points. And this is why I kind of mentioned earlier, like gimmicks don't really work and people shouldn't be focused on trying to come up with the coolest looking bullet point color combination or the best marketing HTML background on their emails or whatever. Like at the end of the day, like it's not a substitute for actually drilling in with somebody and learning how to create perspective for your prospects. And the way I explain it to people that I work with on my team is, you know, at some point in the future, you want to be a sales rep. And they always go, yeah. I go, okay. Well, the skill sets that you're going to need in that role is this. This is how you do that. Like nobody's going to buy from you in the future if they don't think you care, if they don't think that you understand them, if they don't think that you get what they need to achieve and how to help them get there. You have to align to their agenda, not the other way around. So once they see that, then I think they settle down and go, okay. So I'm actually learning how to be a sales rep in this role. And the better I get at it, I'll get successful in this role. And by the way, I've had lots of SDRs on my team making six figures as an SDR and just mastering this stuff. And though they probably could have moved on and and done other things in the company, it's hard to walk away from six-figure income every year. So so they, they tend to be SDRs for a little longer. But my point is, the skills you learn here will apply later. So treat this role as an opportunity to be exposed to the right way of selling in a safer environment where, you know, your feet are not held to the coals to close that deal. Because in that next position, if you haven't mastered this prospecting stuff, and now you have to learn how to close on top of that, now you got two jobs to figure out, not just one, you're already set for failure. So 
Yeah. And uh, I'm piggybacking on that. I may be a little bit biased, but I think some of those life lessons that you pick up, they're just that they're life lessons. Like they will apply to relationships as a whole with people, right? Like I just think there's a ton of value that you can make yourself a better person just by kind of dragging through the mud, right? Like going through the dark parts of the job, getting rejected over and over again and learning how to kind of handle that. But we're getting close to the end of our time. So I've got a couple of different questions I want to kind of end things with. First one's a little bit of a softball. If you could offer one piece of wisdom to an outbound sales team, what would that be? Well, I would say always try to make every single day about learning about your prospect, like legitimately learn about them, not just, you know, oh, their company does this. Like, who are they in their company? Are they a director of HR? Are they an operations leader? Are they, you know, a CIO? Like, try to understand their role because every title at every company has a different view, a different angle of the business. And so they care about different things. And if you know what they care about, then it's easy to talk to the things that you can help them with. And that will spark, I think, much more engagement early on as an outbound team. And I I say that full hand on heart because I think over the last 10, 15 years, there's been this upsurge of like almost telemarketing kind of stuff hitting prospects. And it's really muddied the waters for people that are actually trying to do this in the right way. So I love the idea of helping people like learn that you have to become a subject matter expert for the purpose of your prospect to want to engage with you and actually feel good about you calling them. So that would be my advice. Love that. I think that's gold. And then this one, this is a little bit of a curveball. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like when you had started out here, there were no gongs, there were no like, you know, metadata type of analytics. As you've seen the world change, and I guess projecting into the future, what do you feel is the role of technology and data kind of shaping the sales industry? Do you see that uh, kind of continuing? And what does that look like in your world? Yeah. You know, we have to be careful. I say that as the collective, we as a, as a humanity entity or whatever you want to call us, because we are now crossing into uncharted territory with AI. And, you know, We've had like rudimentary AI for years, but now we're talking about, you know, the Bards and ChatGPT fours and plus and whatever uh, moving forward. You know, these technologies are getting very, very mature very quickly. And it's kind of unfortunate, but I think that companies will try to replace us on the sales side of stuff with automated solutions like these things when the time is right, when these things are more ready sophisticated to have, enough, sophistication yeah. goes up, they understand the world around them well enough to be able to respond in the right ways. I don't think they're going to be a direct replacement for somebody who's good at their job, but that's not going to stop companies from going, hey, I can buy this thing that does you know, the job of these 20 SDRs and it costs half the price. That's where we'll find the rub. So I think like in general, we just need to be careful. SDR teams need to do their job well in order to continue to drive value because we're a luxury in most companies. What I mean by that is if you're an SDR BDR and you are compensated for the fact that you scheduled a call, not had pipeline, but like created pipeline. We're just talking about you scheduled the call, therefore you made your number. I know it's hard to hear this, but you should probably try and change that and make it about pipeline because when SDRs get very successful because they've scheduled a jillion calls this quarter, well, that's great. But if none of them converted to pipeline, guess what? 
that company sitting there going like, we're wasting a lot of money on this. Yeah. And that's when they start looking towards other options. And I think if we move away from that and put more faith in the people behind the phone, behind the laptop and go, why don't we actually invest in these people, make them good at their jobs, help them be the best internal candidates for future positions, whether we're talking about sales roles or otherwise, then we're reinvesting in our company as well. And guess what? It means we're going to get more pipeline that converts to close business, more customers, everybody wins. But I think companies have lost a little faith in general, just from all the layoffs I've been seeing over these last few years. Uh, the pandemic definitely had an impact. But just to answer your question, I think there are technologies out there that help us become more successful, but we shouldn't be reliant on that to do our jobs. It should just be a bonus to become even better. Yeah. I mean, my thought when I hear that explanation too, is like, if you're a young SDR listening to this, nothing is going to be able to replace you. If you do your job the right way and you listen to your prospect and you address the needs, chat GPT won't be able to beat that emotional level. To what you're doing. But if you're just going in there trying to crank out calls and go home and collect your paycheck, chat GPT can do that, right? Like these yeah. different technologies that are emerging, they can do that. So you just need to up your game a little bit and always be focused and kind of stay on the ball. And I think that there's nothing that's going to be able to replace that. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Isn't it funny how after a few years of experience, how your perspective changes and how you see that so clearly but in the beginning of your career, it was like, we're all blind. <laughs> oh, totally. I can still remember my first job in sales. And I mean, we didn't have any type of lead generation tools. They just basically threw me down with a computer and a phone. And which even having an actual phone on my desk right now feels like archaic, you know. Right. But it was basically like, go make money, go get the job done. There yeah, was no real. <laughs> That's your job. So, exactly. So really good stuff. Anything you want to leave the group with or? Yeah. I mean, I would say for anybody who finds any value in the stuff that we've talked about, check out a little YouTube channel I put together called the Savvy SDR. I have some videos on there that just covered a lot of the main questions that I get asked by people who are looking to become SDRs, by people who are SDRs, but they're not quite seeing the goals that they want to hit. Overall, if you guys need any help or whatever, feel free to reach out to me. You know, I think ultimately, like, I want to see the world of sales development continue to grow because every company can benefit from what we do, but there's just no shortcuts. And if you really dedicate yourself to doing it in the right way, we can have a huge impact. And I think it's, you know, irreplaceable and uh, really, really beneficial step in your careers. I mean, no matter who you are, there's just so much value you'll learn from this, I promise. So those would be my final words. Beautiful. And I checked out the Savvy SDR on YouTube and it's great content. So guys, check it out. Thank you. Nick, thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate the time you gave us here today. Awesome insights. Appreciate you guys. Take care. The Outbound Sales Podcast is brought to you by Uplead, the premier source for accurate B2B data you need to connect with and close your most valuable buyers. With a focus on data accuracy, Uplead offers a 95 plus percent accuracy guarantee. To learn more about how Uplead can help you find accurate B2B data of the people you want to do business with, visit our website at www.uplead.com. Don't forget to search for the Outbound Sales Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts to stay updated on all of our latest episodes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you find value in each episode.